0: One of my dearest friends is a beautiful soul named Brandy, spelled with two E's at the end. This is a very important aspect that we cannot overlook, lest we all be in a great deal of trouble. (laughs) We first met when we were just children growing up and going to school in the middle of nowhere. And we became the fastest of friends while bonding over very random things like Anne Rice and Savage Garden. When I was 16, I was headed out to her house to pick her up so that we could drive to a neighboring town to go see a movie. You see, that's how things worked back then. Living out in the country as we both did, it was a minimum of a 30-minute drive to get literally anywhere, and most of the time that entire drive was just open country between point A and point B. On this specific adventure, it got dark before I could actually find her house, and I ended up getting lost. Out of frustration that I couldn't figure out which wrong turn I had taken, and knowing that we were going to be late to the movie, I was driving a little bit faster maybe than I should have been on an unknown road. In the dark, the pavement quickly transitioned to a poorly maintained dirt road that was no better than a two-track. The car that I was in was very low to the ground, and this dirt road had a high pile of dirt in the middle, with two ruts on either side. This caused the car to instantly high-center, and it was thrown off of the road and out into a field, where it flipped, nose to tail, multiple times, crashing a great distance out into the middle of this field, where it somehow ultimately managed to fall back onto all four wheels. The roof had been flattened down level with the hood in the trunk, breaking the backs of the seats off. And technically, I should have died had it not been for the fact that the initial impact forced me all the way down into the floorboard and the seat belt, well, the lap belt, was up underneath my armpits. That's how far down in the car that I was. Despite everything that had just transpired, the aspect that drove the point home that I was going to be in serious trouble was when I tried to get out of the car and the door simply fell off. I started walking away from the crash towards the nearest light that I could see and picking up what belongings I came across along my way, but I was never actually brave enough to turn around and look back at what might have been left of the car itself. The light that I ended up heading towards was a couple of miles further away than it originally looked out there in the dark. And in the end, I found out that I was actually only about a half a mile away from Brandy's house, had I only gone the other direction. Needless to say, we never actually got to go see that movie. Actually, at this point, I couldn't even tell you what the movie was. But it was Brandy who helped me to get over that terrifying experience and helped me to build up the confidence to eventually get back behind the wheel and start driving again. The bond between the two of us would only grow over the years, and she became somebody that I knew that I could always count on, and I tried to be that person for her as well. You see, Brandy had been through a lot in her very young life. She lost both of her younger brothers when they were just in their teens. Unfortunately, I was not able to be there for the first, but I was able to be there to hold her hand while she said goodbye to the second. Not long after that, she herself started to have some health complications, and over the years, those complications would devolve to the point where it would eventually rob her of both of her lungs. She was lucky enough, though, to get a last minute transplant of a single oversized lung, which saved her life. She would later go on to name that lung Gary. Why, you might ask? I don't know, but that's just brandy. <laughs> And though they would have their disagreements from time to time, her and Gary did the best that they could do. In fact, all three of us would go on lots of little mini-adventures over the years to try to help build up Gary's strength so that he could help Brandy breathe a bit easier. Despite all of these things that had gotten thrown her way, or that had gone wrong in her short life, she never once complained about the hand that she had been dealt. In fact, she would make light of it and joke whenever possible. She was simply just happy to be living her life. Over those many years... Our lives would take us both in very different directions, but that bond always remained the same. Late in the evening of April 17, 2015, my father passed away. And though she lived all the way down in Florida by that point, my friend Brandy was there by the morning of the 19th. She didn't have to be asked. Nobody had to tell her. She was simply just there. When I started beekeeping, she was elated. Her career specialty was in range conservation and she would often send me links and articles about new advancements in bee research or information about governmental programs designed to help bees and beekeepers. Of course, the occasional bee pun and joke was also in there, but who could resist? And it was Brandy that first introduced me to the concept of telling the bees. Now, you'll have to forgive me for a moment. It's been a very long week, and I honestly don't have the energy or the mental capacity at this point, to be able to compile the fascinating concept of this whole tradition coherently in my own words. So if you don't mind, I'm going to read you an article that was originally published in JSTOR Daily back on September 5th, 2018, titled Telling the Bees. In 19th century New England, it was held to be essential to whisper to beehives of a loved one's death. The practice of telling the bees may have its origins in Celtic mythology, where it was held that the bees were the link between our world and that of the spirit world. If you had any message that you wished to pass to somebody who was dead, all you had to do was to tell the bees and they would pass that message along on your behalf. Telling the bees was widely reported from all around England and also from many other places across Europe. Eventually, the tradition made its way across the Atlantic and into North America. The typical way to tell the bees was for the head of the household to go out to the hives, knock gently to get the attention of the bees, and then softly murmur in a doleful tune, the solemn news. Little rhymes were developed over the centuries specific to particular regions. In Nottinghamshire, the wife of the dead was heard singing quietly in front of the hive. The master's dead, but don't you go. The mistress will be a good mistress to you. In Germany, a similar couplet was heard. Little bee, our Lord is dead. Leave me not in my distress. While most common in the 19th century, the practice of telling the bees about significant life events endures, albeit in a different form, to this present day. Though the most pervasive and affecting depiction of this tradition can be found in the New England Quaker writer John Greenleaf Whittier's 1858 poem aptly titled, Telling the Bees. The poem reads as this, Before them, under the garden wall, forward and back, went drearily singing the chore girl small, draping each hive with a shred of black. Trembling I listened, the summer sun had the chill of snow, for I knew she was telling the bees of one gone on the journey we must all go. And the song she was singing ever since in my ear sounds on, stay home pretty bees, fly not hence, mistress Mary is dead and gone. The poem ends with this communication to the bees, foregrounding their importance in the ritual conveying of human grief. Whittier himself was eager to locate the tradition of telling the bees within the folklore of rural New England. When he published the poem in the Atlantic back in 1858, he included an introduction to the poem where he noted that this ritual that has formerly prevailed was brought to America from the old country. That Whittier felt it necessary to include a note about the tradition indicates that Even in the mid-19th century, the tradition itself of telling the bees was fading. In an 1858 letter to the fellow poet and Atlantic contributor Rose Terry Cook, Whittier mentions that, following the advice of the Atlantic's first editor, James Russell Lowell, he changed the title to Telling the Bees, and then he added the verse for the purpose of introducing this very expression. Whittier's comments, and his introductory note, indicate a desire to preserve this particular folkloric ritual— to then be able to educate the unaware. The emphasis that Whittier places on this concept of delivering important information to the bees implies that there is a special relationship that exists between the honeybees and the humans that is essential to maintain. While the traditions varied from country to country, telling the bees always involved notifying the insects of a death in the family. This way, the bees could share in the morning. This generally entailed draping each hive with black crepe or some other shroud of black. It was required that the sad news then be delivered to each hive individually by knocking once and then verbally relaying the tale of sorrow to the colony. Charles Fitzgerald gambier Jennens, a British Victorian apiarist and rector, in his book A Book About Bees, circa 1886, asserts that this message should be delivered to the hives at midnight. While in other regions, like in Whittier's New England, they simply hung crape on the hives and then sang to the bees that so-and-so is dead. Other variations include merely telling, rather than singing, or whispering the information to the bees. In some places, they actually say, little brownies, little brownies, your mistress or master is dead. Tammy Horn, a literary scholar and apiarist, writes in Bees in America, How the Honeybee Shaped a Nation, circa 2005, that in New Hampshire, the news of the death must not only be sung, but the verses must also rhyme. She provides a sample verse stating, bees, bees awake. Your master is dead, and another you must now take. If the bees begin to buzz after the information has been delivered, it is seen as a good omen. Horn also writes of another death custom associated with bees, that of ricking, a ritual that required the eldest son in the bereaved family to shift all of the hives to the right in order to signify the change has occurred. Another take on this was to shift all of the hives so that their entrances faced the family home. This tended to only occur if the deceased was being waked in the home at the time. The consequences of not telling the bees could be dire. Another Victorian biologist, Margaret Warner Morley, in her book The Honeymakers, circa 1899, cites a case in Norfolk where a man purchased a hive of bees at an auction. When the man returned home, the bees appeared very sick. It occurred to their new owner that they hadn't been properly put into mourning after the death of their former owner. He decided to drape the hive with a black cloth, and then soon after he did, the bees seemed to regain their health. There are also tales of entire bee colonies dying if the family failed to notify them of a death. Throughout the 19th century, and well into the 20th, there were reports of rural people who firmly believed in this tradition of telling the bees. There is even a report of bees brought to a funeral presumably after being told of the death. In 1956, the AP reported a strange occurrence at the funeral of John Zepka, a beekeeper from the Brookshire Hills. As the funeral procession reached the grave, the mourners discovered swarms of bees hanging placidly from the ceiling of the tent and clinging to the floral displays. They did not annoy the mourners, nor did they move. They just remained immobile. According to a New York Times dispatch from Adams, Massachusetts, published on July 16, 1956, nothing like it had ever been seen before. This curious case seemed to confirm the need to tell the bees, further strengthening the conviction that there exists a mournful sympathy between the bees and humans. Telling the bees is not regulated just to the realm of mourning and sorrow, though. Many cultures and traditions also tell the bees of happy events in their lives, When families are married, the newlywed couple are presented to the bees, and the bees are given pieces of cake and the hives are decorated accordingly. When a new member joins a household, that new member must go out to the family's beehive and introduce themselves to the bees. So be it out of sadness or sorrow or joy and happiness, telling the bees paints a rich tapestry that can be found woven throughout cultures across the world. See there? That was far more detailed and informative than I would have been able to compose for you over the course of this last week myself. So I do hope that you didn't mind the slight divergence from our original programming in order for us to actually learn a completely different aspect of how our bees are intertwined with our lives and the cultures that we are all made up of. In parting, though, I will leave you with a few words of my own that I have written specifically for this occasion. Full moons were our thing. It was our cosmic reminder that the time had come to take a moment to check on one another, no matter where we were or what was going on in our lives. That was our sign that it was time to stop and say hi. So it was only fitting that I slipped out of the house on this warm April night to find my hives bathed in the light of her last full moon. You see, she had slipped away from this world early that very day, and even though I knew it was coming, it was still all too soon. As I sat down amongst the quietly humming hives, I tried to brace myself for the task that I had come to do. I had a story to tell to the myriad of tiny souls inside the hives, in hopes that they might somehow help another soul find peace on this lonely night. I had just lost one of my dearest friends, and though I wasn't ready to say goodbye, I knew that the time was right. As for many years now, her life had been so full of pain and plight. So I sat there telling the bees all about my long-lost friend, hoping that she went peacefully into that soothing light at her journey's end. And though she may now be gone, I ask the bees if they will help sing her song so that her memory may never end. The beautiful music heard on today's episode is titled Meridian Crossing, written, produced, and composed by the beautiful and amazing pianist Julie Rivers from her album One Starry Night. This episode of The Hive Jive and The Telling of the Bees is dedicated in loving memory to Brandy Williams. Through this episode, it is my hope that a piece of you and your memory will live on out there in the world. But no matter what, I will always miss you my dearest friend,